Hello and welcome to Agents of Nonprofit. My name is Alexander Lapa, and I'm here to speak with everyday superheroes helping nonprofits. Joining me today is Carlos Restrepo to talk about digital assets fundraising. Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Really, really happy to be here. I appreciate the invite. I am really excited to talk about uh, digital assets and how they relate to NFTs. But before we get into those meaty details, I'm curious to know, what is your superhero origin story? That is to say, how did you get started working with nonprofits? I think it's like many folks who work in nonprofits kind of fell into it, right? Um, I was, it was back in the mid-90s, and I was graduated with a uh, bachelor's degree in health administration, and hospitals were closing as HMOs and different types of health management was coming into play. And I ended up working at a professional society, American Institute of Chemical Engineers. And that pretty much led me into a whole career in the nonprofit sector. So you kind of fell into it like most of us. And I guess once you got into that world, it was hard to leave, right? It has a stickiness factor, I've noticed. It does. And part of it is just the the mission. I often refer to the nonprofit sector as the middle sector. You know, you have the public sector where they're supposed to do good. It's government, but there's a lot of overhead. There's a lot of inefficiency and um, bloat, uh, bloat to it. Then there is the for-profit market, right? The for-profit sector where there is a lot of efficiency, but all of that efficiency is to drive profit margins for the owners of, of the companies. The middle sector what I found fascinating about it was that you had the mission-based element to it where you wanted to do good and you have a mission and a purpose. At the same time, every penny becomes so important to your mission and what you're trying to achieve that you really try to operate in many ways as lean as possible, which kind of brings in some of those for-profit elements. So from my perspective, the nonprofit world was kind of the best of all. And and I've enjoyed the nonprofit sector so much, I ended up getting my master's in nonprofit management uh, 10 years after I got my bachelor's. Oh, wow. At that point, I knew what my career path was. I bet. And to your point, I've noticed a lot of nonprofits do have similar challenges as for-profits, but you're right, the, the mission obviously is very different. And it's not about how much money we can make for the shareholders, but how much impact can we have in our community? How much good can we do? Correct. So digital assets and digital asset fundraising, there's going to be a lot of terms. We're going to use a bit of a few acronyms as well. I was hoping we could start maybe at a high level definition and, and define some of these acronyms before we start getting into these details. So let's start with the word digital asset fundraising. What, what does that mean to you? So one of the things that I, I, I was working in FinTech and I was looking at ways to kind of talk about the payments industry and how the payments industry is evolving and how it could support nonprofits. And I, and I was getting into blockchain and into different elements. And that led down a whole rabbit hole of metaverse, blockchain, NFTs, and all of these other elements. And one of the things I realized is that more and more of these digital assets are going to be true ownership, which is kind of like the key definition for Web3 is that you have ownership of the, of of an asset not just creating and once you have ownership of something and once the marketplace can actually take those digital assets and do something with it it opens up the opportunity for everyday heroes right people who want to give to uh, organizations people who want to be involved in nonprofits 
to actually provide something more than just dollars, right? Now they can create assets. They can create works of art. They, you know, the, the it's, it's like open, open field for what a individual can do to support an organization or a mission or a purpose that they care about. And so digital asset fundraising really comes from the idea of you have creators that are building these digital assets. You have metaverses that are existing where individuals are finding ways to either bring the real world or create fantasy worlds where good can be done. And from my perspective, I think that there is a great opportunity for nonprofits to engage the digital creators and work with them to find ways of really creating sustainable fund uh, funding streams, exposing new generations uh, to traditional organizations and kind of like in a creative and native manner, because, you know, the younger generation, they exist, you know, they, they're familiar with Minecraft, they're familiar with Roblox, right? And those are digital assets that, you know, a lot of kids are creating games on Roblox. And then the other part of it is as a digital asset, it, it's ethereal, right? It's in the cloud. It's available anywhere for anyone. And so it opens up new markets to geographically limited nonprofits, which the mission might be universal, but their funding might be, you know, might limit them just to a specific geographic area. Once you go digital, that goes away. Mm. When I think of digital assets, I'm already jumping to NFTs and of course the early version of NFTs, which were, you know, you could buy GIF of a basketball player doing a slam dunk, or you could buy like the first tweet ever made, which, you know, was, was interesting. It was very novel. Uh, people didn't know quite what to do with it. I know it's matured since then and it still has a way to mature, but how would you, if I, if we were to give, and I know a digital asset isn't quite an NFT, if I understood correctly, uh, and NFT is a type of digital asset. So how would you give an example or what are some examples of digital assets like in the sense of Minecraft? Like, if, Because we'll use that as a context. I think hopefully a lot of people know what Minecraft is. But in this game, let's say, for example, I assume that you can buy certain tools or certain skins or colors or, or things to add on to the game as a type of digital asset. Um, is that a, well? Is that an example of a digital asset, or do you have another example at uh, the top of your mind that we can use for this context? No, and I think that that's exactly right. Uh, when you think of digital asset, you think of everything that's already out there, right? Um, so everything from weapons you can buy for Fortnite and DLCs that you can download for games that you're playing, uh, downloadable content DLC, to new game, you know, like little games that are built on Roblox platform. I know Fortnite announced that they are coming out with a creator tool where individuals will be able to create kind of their own spaces in Fortnite for people to play. And I know, I believe Nike got involved with something like that, where we know uh, Walmart did the whole Walmart world and Roblox. So there's a lot of um, examples of where digital assets and digital creation is kind of mixing in with the real world. And, and so that's more the traditional kind of model of it's it's on a platform, it's limited to what's there, and it's digital by nature, but it's not an NFT. And so as I like to say that, you know, while all NFTs are digital assets, not all digital assets are NFTs. And NFTs have gotten a bad rap, so sometimes it's good to kind of make sure that folks understand that 
when we're talking about the technology, it's not just one element of it. it it's kind of a more broad-based perspective of what a digital asset can be and how a digital asset can support organizations. Great. So let's move then the context to the fundraiser or the fundraising organization. How would they use or talk to creators of digital assets to help them in their fundraising uh, capacity? What I focus on is definitely more of the metaverse, uh, more of what I call UGC3, user-generated content 3, version 3, which relates to Web3. And as I mentioned before, a quick and simple way of defining Web3 has been Web1 was read, right? When you just had the mosaics and, and all that back in the day where you could just read information. Web2 was when platforms like YouTube, TikTok, uh, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, kind of came out and people can now create content, but that content was more visual and, and media based. Web three is when we start to get into, um, ownership, right? And so now not only can you create digital assets, you can put those digital assets up in any marketplace or maybe not any marketplace, but more and more marketplaces and they can be sold. And a lot of times that kind of relates to maybe a metaverse and metaverses tend to be um, uh, associated with blockchains, not necessarily, but in a more modern version, metaverses tend are now starting to be more associated with some sort of uh, blockchain element. So when I think of digital asset fundraising and aligning that with an organization, what I'm thinking about is how do you use uh, games, you know, play to earn games, for example, right? They were very, very popular. They're, they're, they're still around. How can you use a play-to-earn game to create a fundraising element? Um, how can you work with a metaverse that aligns with your mission to kind of help um, create a perpetual, what I like to call perpetual good, right? Where a digital asset can be bought and sold, and every time that happens, your organization receives a piece of that sale. Now, Back in the day, you know, board uh, ape, board apes, and their yacht club series, um, they would they they reached some really crazy sales. Imagine being able to get ten percent of one of these million dollar sales, you know, when it happens. I think that everything has come down from the craziness, as you know, people have seen that okay, there was an opportunity, but there was also a lot of bad actors and so forth. But now, what's happening is we're starting to see a better indication of practical use, right? And and that's evolving. Even that is not fully there yet. But little by little, we're, we're kind of building towards how do you engage the right tool that aligns with your mission so that you can create this perpetual good? So let me just paint a picture as far as I understand it. Well, we haven't defined all the, the personas, but let's say there's, I understand there's going to be three of them. We've got the creator of the digital asset, the one who generates whatever that asset is. We've got mm-hmm. the nonprofit, and then we have the owner of the asset. We haven't really talked about that persona just yet, but I'm sure we will as the conversation continues. So the nonprofit would, I guess, or it sounds like they would reach out to a creator of a digital asset or to create a new digital asset to be able to publicize this on some marketplace that owners could then purchase. We'll get into the you know how the transactions would work, but the, I just want to make sure I'm clear on the concept. And the idea would be not only would the creator get paid for their work, but the nonprofit would as well. And it sounds like, or if I'm also leading ahead, 
or looking ahead, uh, when the owner is changing, and if the owner, for example, sells that asset at some point down the future, down the road, not only or potentially would the creator get repaid a portion of that sale, but also the nonprofit. Is that kind of like the high level transactional type of situation that we're, we're talking about? In an ideal situation, correct. Okay. Now, of course, that begs the question of what is not ideal, but let's stick with the ideal for now. So, um, and the, the asset for could be as simple as, and it's, I mean, you, you give examples still of games. So is that a feasible and realistic asset that a nonprofit would leverage? Like, I don't know how many nonprofits know enough about the current games to know, you know which ones they should go towards. Is there some kind of system or guide to learn, hey, look, you might want to consider a, a creator that creates digital assets for, you know, your Minecraft or your Fortnite or whatever else is popular these days. <laughs> Uh, and guide them in that process? Like, how would that mechanism work? How, how would basically, another way of asking this question is, how would a nonprofit who is interested in this kind of idea want to explore it more in a more practical sense? So I think that right now, there is the tried and true map, uh, model, right? Which is NFT creators, right? Usually digital artists will work with an organization they like and uh, do like a giant fundraiser selling their NFTs and so forth. Uh, examples of something like that was, I know that, for example, um, the Angry Pitbull Club, they do a series of NFTs and they worked with Best Friends Animal Society to uh, do a big fundraiser and they were able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars through these fundraisers uh, for the organization. So that's kind of the traditional model. Uh, NFTs can have uh, what's what's known as smart contracts. Smart contracts really is just a business rule where it says, okay, when this happens, you know, when this triggers, this um, this effect happens, right? So when this gets purchased, uh, distribute ten percent of the purchase price to this account, kind of thing, right? And so it becomes kind of a way of being able to define royalties into an NFT, and that's where the payment comes in. Obviously, the Angry Pitbull Club, they are there trying to support, um, you know, educate about pit bulls and so forth. And so they, they working with a organization like Best Friends Animal Society makes a lot of sense, right? Because there's alignment of mission and vision. I'm working with one nonprofit and, uh, and I'm looking forward to making our announcement soon, uh, working with them to help bring them into a metaverse uh, called upland.me and upland is a metaverse mapped to the real world so there's cities there's real world kind of elements that are mapped into this virtual space and what is interesting about that is because of that real world nonprofits that might be able to create digital elements of themselves or create digital representations of themselves can actually then bring them into this metaverse and uh, work with the community or work with the uh, platform itself to create these, you know, to sell these digital assets within the um, metaverse. And then those digital assets kind of become a different revenue stream that is one still mission-based. So, you know, one of the things that people always worry about is unrelated business income tax, right? And how that might affect their 501c3 status and so forth. But if you do these in a way where there is alignment between the vision and purpose of your organization and the 
revenue stream that is coming in, which revenue is not a four letter word. I think that that is very important for nonprofits to understand that diversifying your revenue, understanding revenue is important to your business model and nonprofits are businesses that diversifying your revenue through these digital assets that are aligning with your mission and vision actually is a very good thing for your organization for the three reasons I said before, where we really are trying to one, bring a new audience in the, this metaverse Upland is uh, worldwide. So there is going to be now awareness of this organization throughout the world, not just in the United States. So things like that, I think is where you start to look at like any technology, it's a tool, right? And so is there alignment of that technology with your mission and vision? And then exploring what's available, what's out there, I think is part of it. Working with individuals that know the space, I think is important uh, because there is a lot going on and there are some bad actors, but there's also a lot of really good things happening. So um, it's, it's brand new and everyone is still trying to figure it out as well. I love the concept though, because to your point, additional revenue streams are always important additional markets as well. You know, the fact that this could be and is global, it's not just local anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And I agree that as long as it's aligned with the, the organization's mission, uh, so it's not, you know, completely radically different, but is there is some kind of cohesion between the real world and the virtual world. Uh, I'm, st I'm still curious to know, though, is how, so you mentioned finding the right digital creators. Is there any marketplace for this right now? Is Is this something that's still so new that they haven't decided on a place yet to say like where would a nonprofit go to find a creator of a digital asset so there are organizations out there that have started to create homes for this type of idea right and one of my favorite organizations to work with is called endowment.org and endowment is spelled e n d a o like a dao uh, which is a decentralized autonomous organization. So endowment.org, and they are a on-chain, i.e. they exist on the blockchain. Their transactions are tracked on the chain, on, on the blockchain. And so they're an on-chain nonprofit that supports nonprofits looking to take advantage of this technology. And their staff have been very helpful. They already have a registry of, of every 501c3 that is out there. And so nonprofits, all they need to do is kind of claim their page. The organ, you know, the endowment uh, folks will work with you to make sure that you are ready to accept donations. And then what ends up happening is they're very, very much involved in the Web3 community. And so they actually help bring NFT creators, bring, you know, maybe play to earn game uh, developers into their space and so forth. Another one, and, and they've actually signed the partnership endowment, signed the partnership agreement with Giving Block. Giving Block is probably the biggest company that manages and supports crypto donations, but it's gone beyond crypto to also include NFTs and so forth. And so the idea is being able to work with these organizations, getting familiar with them, uh, having your pages available for people to see them so that you can be approached, uh, I think is great. Uh, great way to start. Twitter and LinkedIn have started to evolve in their crypto uh, and Web3 space uh, engagement. A lot of Twitter folk, uh, a lot of Web3 folks are on Twitter. And so if you just do Web3 tech or NFTs or play to earn Twitter, you'll find a bunch of spaces 
or threads and creators on that space. LinkedIn has been evolving as well. I've been very, you know, we've, we've been working on kind of evolving the concept and, and showing a different side of Web3 on LinkedIn. I'm working with one organization called the 100. And the 100 is a community of kind of Web3 entrepreneurs that are trying to support each other to kind of go out there. And, and one of the things I like about that is that these are individuals who are trying to create products, services, whatever it might be around this technology. And so I think that nonprofits looking at that would be great. There are several LinkedIn groups that talk about crypto and metaverse and Web3 as a whole. So I think finding those groups on LinkedIn is another great place to start. And I do believe that there are some conferences that are specific to Web3 game creation and metaverse creation. And so those are always good. Obviously, the big players in metaverse creation and technology is going to be Unity. You're going to have Spatial IO. You're going to have Nowhere. So there's there's obviously, as, as you can tell, there is a lot of places where if you just do a quick Google search, you will find something that you might be able to connect with. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to help anyone. All right. That's awesome. We'll make sure those list of resources are in the show notes. So. Let's okay. Let's so phase one is then complete, or say phase two. Phase one would be, and I'm making this up as I go, but phase one would be <laughs> the nonprofit has decided they they want to branch into digital assets. Phase two is they find a creator uh, through one of the resources. They learn more about you know how this whole system works. I'm curious now to know from the perspective of the owner. So someone is going to purchase this digital asset, and in purchasing the asset, what happens transactionally what happens I, I would guess that the the creator gets a certain percentage of the sale the nonprofit does as well and then what happens from there like the the owner would keep it the asset for a certain period of time presumably and then sell it you know could you explain how those kinds of transactions would typically work yeah and so this is where it starts to get fun from a digital fundraising perspective right so one of the things that happens is you're creating digital assets as a creator my goal is to create a digital asset that the community will want, right? And so I have, for example, I'm working on creating something and we have five variations of, a, of digital assets that are mapped to the real world. We have created a limited run of mints on those digital assets so that we can uh, hopefully motivate some FOMO, uh, fear of missing out uh, FOMO. and that then driving sales of these digital assets because of their limited runs some people may not be able to get some and so they might be on the hunt for buying it from someone who did get one and what ends up happening is there are going to be some individuals that buy as an investment so this like this is an upland right so let's say that in upland i buy a digital asset for eleven thousand opics which is the in-game currency right I was able to get it at mint price, the 11,000. Now I can turn around and sell it in a store in Upland. And let's say I want to sell it for 25,000 Upix, right? So I more than doubled my investment in uh, that digital asset. Well, now when I, when I bought it for 11,000, the creator and the, and the nonprofit received a portion of that. But now when I sell it for 25,000, the creator and the nonprofit again get a portion of that 
right? And so the value proposition is that as people buy for investment and then resell for value or buy for collection, right? And even if they just bought it to collect it and they're never going to sell it, at least you got that initial sale from it. And if you're showing it off, then other people might want it and, you know, they'll, they'll see it on your property and they'll be like, Ooh, how do I get one of those kind of things? Right? So there, the owner, there's going to be different personas to the owner and there's going to be those that invest for flipping and there's going to be those that invest for collecting. And, and that's the beauty of, of these digital assets. And I really want to underline that transaction piece because I've heard that before and I thought it was wonderful. And imagine the scenario where you have someone that creates a physical piece of art, a painting, right? The only time the artist ever gets paid is the first sale. All subsequent sales, as it passes through ownership, the, 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 digital, the creator, the artist, never sees a dime. Versus in this scenario, every time it's sold, not only does a creator get a, a, a portion of it, but the, the nonprofit that is mitigating and managing the whole transaction gets it. And that's a wonderful, I'm not sure what the exact word would be, but it's definitely much better, more beneficial to the creator and to the nonprofit because of the, the possibility of reselling. So as the asset becomes more valuable, it becomes more valuable for everyone and not just the current owner selling it to the new owner. Yeah, I like to think of it as royalties, right? Um, mm. I mean, imagine if you were able to get the Beatle rights to the Beatles songs and every time a Beatles song plays, you get a royalty check, right? Who wouldn't want that as a donation? That's a good way to look at it. So once the owner has it, and let's go with an example. I, I like to have a more concrete picture in my mind when I do it. Let's say it's, because I like Minecraft. It's the only one out of all the, <laughs> the names we've mentioned that I actually am familiar with. So you got this little avatar in Minecraft. I've purchased through a marketplace, a really cool suit of armor. It really works well for me. Uh, and then I get bored of it at some point. Is there, I guess it would be a similar marketplace where I could advertise it that it's for sale, that I can, I can sell this thing at. Is there any, I guess it would be, well, you tell me, it would be, it would perceive to me like a normal transaction. I wouldn't have to pay attention to the details. There would be obviously, you know, various service charges and, and, and transactions that happen to the nonprofit. But there's nothing in particular I need to do. Like it's not extra work for me to sell a digital asset versus a, a tangible asset, I guess is the question I'm trying to ask. No, all of the royalty management, i.e. the distribution of funds and so forth, that's all built into the smart contract that is mm -hmm. associated with the NFT. And in this case, we would be talking about NFTs. In uh, Minecraft, again, that's the difference between the NFT and the digital asset that armor you would be able to sell and you would probably would sell it for currency in Minecraft that you could then use to buy something in Minecraft, but there would be no other value proposition beyond being able to become richer in Minecraft. With an NFT, you actually are able to take it outside of Minecraft and make it available in other marketplaces or translate it into USD in one way or another for both the nonprofit and the owner. And that's the interesting part. Correct. So, yeah, that's, I like that. So you said it's new. I, 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 this whole technology, we're still trying to figure things out. What do you think are some of the challenges that we need to figure out as a community to make this more popular? This whole idea that there's a, is there a trust factor? 
Uh, I know you said there are some bad actors in this. Sometimes assets are created that don't really have any real value. They're just created for the sake of hype and inflation. So you know, what are the, some of these challenges that we as a community need to overcome before it does become more accepted and more popular and more trusted? Yeah, there are definitely. I mean, like any early adopter. And by the way, I mean, blockchain has been around since, what, 2008? So we say early adopter because it really started to kick in, I think, in like 2017 or so. But challenges that I see that still need to be overcome include regulation. Obviously, there is a lot of conversations going on around regulation, mostly focused on the crypto space. But NFTs, I think, have also been looked at. You know, what can you do with NFTs? What can't you do with NFTs? Uh, the idea of smart contracts and, you know, how are what's the tax liabilities on these elements and so forth. For nonprofits, obviously, where there is you know, kind of the, there is no tax liability. It might not be as bad, but for creators and for owners, obviously understanding the regulations around their tax liability is important. The other thing too, is the stigma created by bad actors and bad press. I, I've had several conversations with folks about NFTs, about crypto, about Web3, and how I shouldn't use the terminology because, you know, it's it's been corrupted by scams that, and so forth and pump and dumps and all that right these are terms that people have heard around this technology but it is the technology category right it's not like it's a made-up marketing word it is kind of the the tech stack right it's the evolution of the web you know you went from the first iteration of web and you had all of the internet pump and dumps and all that back in the 90s Right. You went into the second iteration of web with uh, people creating TikToks and, you know, the idea of uh, false information and, you know, what is true and echo chambers and so forth. Right. And now you're getting into web three where you have this concept of true ownership and anyone being able to be a part of that. And so do people create, you know, pump and dump schemes and so forth? Yeah, it's it's happened. So, but that doesn't mean the technology is at fault. It's the users, right? And and like any technology tool, it could be used for good and bad. The other part of talking about technology is advancing the technology enough so that it can support day to day users. Um, the number of individuals that would want to explore Web three would want to explore metaverses that understand what a metaverse might be is very small right now. And part of that is due to the technology. Part of that is due to the FUD, fear, uncertainty, uncertainty and doubt, right? Uh, so what's the FUD out there around Web3 and crypto and so forth? And so how do you make the, uh, how do you advance the technology? How do you advance the regulation? How do you advance the uh, killer apps so that it becomes day-to-day -day kind of technology? Just like email, right? I mean, nowadays, no one even thinks about email as a thing, you know, as a thing that we should think about. It just is what we use. And then finally, I think one of the challenges, the big challenge that needs to be overcome, if you kind of think about everything I've been saying is change management and change, man you know, change is scary. And in this space, it's not, there is no, you know, difference about it, right? If you worked at a for-profit and you went out on a limb with this new technology and it didn't work out, you might get fired. But if you go out on a limb at a nonprofit, that might mean that a child doesn't get a meal, that a puppy isn't saved, that another tree is taken down, or that a cure for some disease doesn't, you know, isn't found, right? Like there's major consequences to, to failing, to losing the community's trust, to uh, 
losing funding that you know that you have because maybe you overstepped the regulation that you weren't aware of or something right and so there's a lot of risks you know the risks that are associated are very high for uh, nonprofits because of the fact that it's not just about themselves it's about what they support and, and the vision that they have to that effect actually i usually recommend that nonprofits don't be early adopters as much as i am an advocate for technology and i do believe it it's going to be and helps us in many different ways because of these risks and the, and the consequences of failure i generally advise that nonprofits are not early adopters this is definitely early i think it's still in the early phases it's something that i believe the conversation should continue nonprofits should investigate this but it do you have a different opinion? Like, do you think that this is already at a point where nonprofits should start really exploring a tangible use of this? Or is it more like we're just about there and, you know, get ready, it's coming soon type of approach? Like, where would you put us on the, on the progress of way too early to everyone's using it and you better be doing it because, you know, otherwise you're missing out? On a scale of one to five, one being too early, five being like you've missed out. I think that we're probably at like a 2.5, honestly, right? And what I mean by that is I think that there is enough evolution of the technology that if you use caution, right, if you do a little bit of, you know, buyer beware kind of models where you do your due diligence, I've worked with some nonprofits and they have a very good due diligence process, right, uh, where they kind of investigate what's being done. They look at what previous projects have been worked on. They look at what, you know, who the organization is behind a lot of times in, in the metaverse, there's a lot of anonymous kind of elements. And, and so doing a little bit of due diligence and understanding what's, what you're getting into is important. But to me, I think the most important part of this is it is newer technology, but it's technology that has already been around for 15 years. Right. And so it's not that it's brand new, it's just that it hasn't been adopted in, in mass quantities yet, but it will. And on top of that, the technology, if it aligns with your vision or your mission statement, right? If it aligns with the values of your organization, then I think that there are ways that you can explore it without putting your neck out kind of thing. Um, I've mentioned in other uh, conversations that I believe the key to success in the metaverse and upland and, and these different types of technologies is aggressive patience, right? So aggressively looking at how the technology can be used and so forth, but then having the patience to not just jump on the first thing that comes around and also understanding that the technology is evolving and you will probably find a very better variation of what you originally thought in like three to six months. I like it, aggressive patience. But uh, to go back to your scale of one to five, putting it at 2.5, and that, that's the really the, the tipping point, right? That, that's If you were on a seesaw, you're perfectly balanced between <coughs> the, the, the early and the, the too late part. So, But I imagine mm -hmm. that that tipping point is going to, like the 2.5 is going to move very quickly to the 2.6, to the 2.7, to the 3, because it's already... If we were to draw like a bell curve, I think that we are more or less at the top of that curve and the the progress to get to five will be more quick than it took to get from the one to the 2.5. If hopefully people can definitely. follow that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is definitely like once it tips, it goes. 
Right. Like that, that's basically it. Like a wave. Yeah. And the what, what I do like is just working with some nonprofits. I mean, I was able to do a fundraiser for the Child Mind Institute, working with uh, five different Discord communities to raise $5,000 in like three and a half weeks, starting from scratch. Wow. And to me, that showed the power of this community. Yeah. So a tremendous opportunity, tremendous reward, perpetual uh, rewards as well. It's not just a one-time situation. So definitely, definitely worth exploring. I, I do believe that there is a great amount of good that can come out from Web3. I know that there are detractors and that there are challenges, but the technology itself, I can see being very valuable, especially for small organizations. And one of the one of the tips that I would like to leave the audience with is you as an organization do not need to be an expert in this technology. There are many, many partners, many individuals uh, that are out there that are willing to support and work with you. On top of that, the generation that is really kind of taking to this technology is very much about mission-based organizations, about causes and social causes and what people care about. And so if you think about the alphas and the uh, Z generation, they are going to be your future donors. And the beauty of this is that that donor won't be single track in their in, in what they can do. They won't just be giving you USD or a, a cash donation. They, they will be able to create multiple revenue streams from a single source. And that, to me, is kind of like the drip, drip, drip to create an ocean. And that is the real value of these digital assets. Carlos, this has been great. In regards to seeking out a professional for extra help, where can people find more information about you or get in touch with you online? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm uh, happy to provide that. Also, my email address is carlosr at dmgaminginc.com. Awesome. Carlos, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's it for today. I'm Alexander Lapa, and I hope you join me again in the next Agents of Nonprofit.